Life can be messy. In relationships, conflict is inevitable, especially in marriage. We can't avoid it, but we can choose to be proactive about setting guidelines to make our fights as productive as possible. Today, we're going to share the five rules for fighting that we use to move from heated conflict to healthy resolution. This is Life with Amy and Jordan. Here's how a typical fight used to look early on in our marriage. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Jordan would typically get angry about something, and that would almost always make me cry immediately. And that would make Jordan even angrier, and that would make me cry even more. Jordan sounds like a monster. (laughs) And Amy sounds like, I don't know, a wimp. Jordan would start storming through the house like Godzilla, smashing everything (laughs) in his path. No, but what you would do is you would shut down and retreat, um, normally leave the room, and then that would make me feel like you were abandoning me. And so I would then chase you around the house to whatever room you were in, um, pushing you to want Which to... Which normally I like it when you chase me around the house. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Um, I would chase you around the house, not the way that you like it, and ask you to... <laughs> Oh you thought God. you were listening to a podcast about five rules for fighting, and it's really five rules for just kidding. Okay. Um, and then what would happen is, oh my gosh, I'm turning red. <laughs> my plan is working. Um, that I would just be pushing you to talk. I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk. I wanted to solve it right then. And that would make you blow up. And um, you would normally say something really hurtful, something that you probably didn't mean. And that would make me cry more and things would get worse. And I feel like you can kind of figure out where this is going, right? It's just like this awful pattern of like, like anger, tears, anger, tears, anger, tears, anger, tears. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And earlier on in our marriage, um, this was kind of an unhealthy fighting style, right? And so um, as we talk about our five rules for fighting, the first rule that we want to start for start with is to know your fighting style and to know your spouse's fighting style. And just as a quick aside, we don't love the word fighting. I think anytime we've ever heard, like been to like a, uh, you know, a church service where there's been a sermon on this or heard a podcast about this or read a book on this. I think the idea of like fighting, it's kind of like a sexy headline. And maybe that's the reason you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) But in reality, what we're talking about here isn't so much fighting as it is conflict resolution. And so I just want to kind of, we are talking about when we have fights or disagreements within our marriage, but really what we're working toward is how to get a healthy conflict resolution. And so, and the ground rules that we've put in place in order to make sure that when we do have conflict, that it's productive and that it, um, even though it's not fun in the middle of it, that it's always with the heart of being able to solve it in a productive, hopefully loving way. Yeah. And so what I've learned over the last 10 plus years that we've been married is that Amy's fighting style is quick reconciliation. Amy is somebody who basically never causes fights. So that's helpful. (laughs) But she's also somebody who wants to resolve it quickly. And the reason she wants to resolve it quickly is because I know that she loves me she wants the best for me. She has my best interest at heart. Um, she wants our marriage to be back to full harmony as quickly as we possibly can. And so what I had to learn early on in our marriage is that when she would kind of like chase me, so to speak, from room to room, not in the way I like, um, in order to get a quick resolution, sometimes we ran a risk of a couple of things. One, Amy would run the risk of 
making me more angry because I felt like she was trying to force me into a faster resolution that I was ready for. And as a guy, and maybe this is a guy thing, maybe this is this crosses genders, but certainly for me, I am a, a, a someone who needs to process. And so a lot of times I needed that time separate and away in a different room to cool down and to process. And Dr. Emerson Egrich in his book, Love and Respect, I believe, talks about the fact that, and I'm not calling myself a good man here, but that good men um, are the guardians of their wives' hearts. And so when they get into conflict, because men know how angry they can become and, um, and, and kind of they understand that kind of like, I don't want to say power, but they kind of understand that feeling inside of them that they could become angry very quickly and boil over. A lot of men instead choose to hold on to those feelings, to stuff them down, to remove themselves from the situation so they don't accidentally say something that's going to hurt their spouse's feelings. And I used to interpret that when Jordan would essentially shut down and stop talking. I used to interpret that like he was trying to punish me, if I'm being honest. I almost like the silent treatment, like what you do in elementary school when you're mad at your friend. Um, almost like he was giving me the silent treatment in order to punish me, which would make me upset and emotional and cry. And when I read that in Love and Respect, what Jordan was talking about, that idea of a man trying to be a protector of his um, woman's heart and actually trying to be trying to do the noble, honorable thing by not talking, uh, that really changed my perspective on what he was doing. And so now that I know that about Jordan, it's helped me uh, figure out how to approach him in a way that's not going to make him uh, explode more, if that makes sense. And instead, understand like he needs time to process. And even though that's not me, um, that if I can respect that, when when it is time for us to talk, it's going to be a lot more productive and a lot more loving on both ends. And so knowing your spouse's fighting style is really going to help approach the way you approach your spouse in any conflict. Yeah. And within that fighting style, if you're the person who wants quick reconciliation, but the person that you're married to isn't somebody who need, who can do quick reconciliation. If they need a little bit of time to process, one of the risks that you, that you run is getting a quick, cheap reconciliation where your spouse feels like they're forced to reconcile without really resolving anything or getting to the root or the heart of the issue. And so I know for me that when Amy gives me a couple of hours to kind of process the way that I'm feeling, I'm instead of and instead of her trying to force an answer out of me, sometimes just that gentle, hey, if you're ready to talk, I'm here and I'm ready to talk. But if you're not ready to talk yet, uh, I, I can give you more time. That's no problem. Sometimes and for me being the person that wants to resolve it right away, that was something I really had to work on was because I felt very impatient. Like I wanted the solution right away. And so it was really hard for me to not spend the time that he needed a process, um, throwing myself a pity party and feeling really bad for myself. And instead being able to almost compartmentalize in a way that was not natural for me um, to basically be like, okay, I know that we are going to talk through this. It's just not going to be on my timeline, um, which is going to be the best for both of us. Um, and understanding that and uh, accepting it has really improved our conflict over time. Yeah. And one thing I would just mention too, if you're the person in your marriage who is like me and you need a little more time to process, I know for us personally, when we're in the middle of a fight or in the middle of conflict, um, a lot of times for me, it's been really helpful when I'm maybe I'm like laying in bed or I'm sitting on the couch and Amy will come in every so often and she'll say something like, hey, 
I, I don't know why you're upset. I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I just wish that I knew what I had done so I could apologize for it. And so that we could talk about it and move on. But I understand that you're not ready to talk yet. And so even though I don't want to, I can wait until you're ready because when you, I do want to know how you're feeling and I do want to know how I've hurt you so that it doesn't happen again. Or conversely, sometimes if Amy has a hunch of like, maybe I did this thing that upset him, sometimes she'll start that conversation with, Hey, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I kind of have a guess. And my guess is maybe that when I did or said this, maybe it made you feel like that. And I could be wrong and I could be totally off base and I could be speculating here, but I think that might be what this is about. And if that is what it is about, I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I know that doesn't fix it right in this moment, but when you're ready to talk about it, I would love to sit down and talk about it so that we can work through this together. So sometimes kind of um, predicting what your spouse might be thinking or feeling, um, or if you don't know, just kind of telling them, I, I honestly don't know what's going on, but for whatever I did or said, I am sorry. Those are really, really helpful to kind of, kind of dethawing the heart of somebody who is a processor. Um, as we kind of go through these rules, we want to mention that these rules are primarily, you know, for people who are married, but we do believe that these could be easily applied to couples who are dating and other important relationships in your life. You know, it could be a sibling relationship or a parent child relationship. It could be a relationship with friends. And so if you're listening and you're not married and you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me next episode, we want to encourage you to hang with us because there's so much in this episode that is going to apply to you. And I think as far as this uh, number one rule about knowing your fighting style and your spouse's fighting style, the most important thing that take away here is to understand your spouse's conflict style so that you don't misinterpret their actions. Because like I shared, I was severely misinterpreting Jordan's actions when we first uh, had these fights over and over again at the beginning of our marriage. As I was thinking like, oh, he's trying to punish me, silent treatment. I had all of these uh, misinterpretations of his actions. And so over time, that's really helped uh, lead to resolution faster. And that's really the point of everything we're going to talk about here is basically finding ways to de-escalate the emotions, de-escalate the tension, and hopefully move to a productive resolution faster. Yeah, and, and likewise, you know, I misinterpreted your crying as manipulation, right? right? So I would think, oh my gosh, she's crying because she knows that if she cries, I can't argue with that. Um, and sometimes I would just wish that I could cry on command. But in reality, um, I was misinterpreting that, that, that what was causing her to cry and to have tears was this physical manifestation of the real anguish that her heart was feeling at not being able to be reconciled together. And so step one is know your fighting style. We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, do you love taking photos but wonder why yours don't look like the ones you see online? What if we told you there was a free online photography class that would help you fix that? We're Amy and Jordan, and along with hosting this show, we're professional photographers who help people take better pictures. We created a free online photography class where you'll learn three easy pro tricks that will help you start taking better photos this week. To reserve your free seat, just head to amyandjordan.com slash class to choose a date and time that works for your schedule. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash class. We're so excited to share three of our favorite pro secrets that will help you start taking better photos this week. We can't wait to see you in class. Now back to the episode. Step two is don't leave the house. Amy and I resolved early in our marriage, maybe before we even got married mm -hmm. through premarital counseling, that no matter what was happening 
in terms of like a fight that we were having that we were never going to leave the house. Now, at the outset, I want to mention one thing. If you're listening right now and you are or you know somebody who is in any kind of an abusive relationship where there is physical abuse, verbal abuse or any kind of addiction, those really, really serious issues. That is not what we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about your more run of the mill kind of everyday fights, spats, disagreements and arguments that you would have between spouses. 100% absolutely without question. If you are a victim of any kind of verbal or physical abuse and you need to get out of your home for your safety or get your children out of your home for their safety, by all means, do that and seek professional help as soon as possible. Um, coming back now to just kind of the those maybe 99% of those of those cases where they're kind of those run-of-the-mill fights. One of the reasons that we kind of committed early on that nobody is leaving the house is it was kind of a a physical demonstration of neither one of us is leaving the other. Yeah, almost like a commitment, like this will get solved, even though we might not like each other in this moment. Um, neither one of us is jumping ship. We're not going to abandon the other person. And it was kind of like the physical representation of that. Um, the, just kind of out of respect for the other person's heart, almost like, you know, if you're the one that gets left, your mind starts wondering like, oh, are they coming back? Like, how long are they going to be gone? And it's almost like this mental torture. And it also kind of sends the signal if you're the one who leaves and maybe out of your two temperaments, you would be the person who's be who would be prone to leaving every single time. Um, it also kind of leaves the impression to the other person of like, I'm leaving because I'm so mad at you because this is your fault. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think committing early on to stay in the house was one of the best decisions that we made for our marriage, because here's the reality is that. Everything that we do in our marriage has the potential to leave either a positive or a negative imprint on our spouse's heart. And kind of like Amy was saying, if you are in a marriage relationship where every time you fight, somebody says, that's it, I'm leaving, or that's it, I'm out of here, or I'll talk to you later, and they leave and slam the door and drive away, or leave and slam the door and walk away... Even though maybe you resolve it later in the day, you resolve it the next day, you apologize, you forgive each other, there is always going to be just a little bit of scar tissue that's left on your heart from you physically leaving the home that leaves your spouse wondering the next time she leaves, the next time he leaves, is that going to be the time that he never comes back? And so you definitely escalate your fights versus de-escalating them by putting that worry and that fear into your spouse's heart of, oh my gosh, maybe he's not coming back or maybe she's not coming back. But we do separate rooms. (laughs) So I would say that that does happen quite frequently, especially like we just mentioned in our fighting style, knowing Jordan typically needs a little more time to process. A lot of times we do that separately, but there's just something so different about being in separate rooms, but staying in the same house than leaving the house, which is why we just committed before we even got married, no matter how bad an argument or heated it got, we weren't going to leave the house. And along those same lines, we also made one word completely off limit all the time. We call it the D word. um, And that's divorce. Um, So we've been married for over 10 years. And that is a word that no matter how high the emotions or the tensions got, neither one of us has ever uttered that word because that was an agreement we made early on that divorce is not an option. Um, so no matter what type of fight we're having, that word is never introduced. And I think that's just so important um, to, again, 
basically having both parties be like, I'm in this no matter how much I don't like you right now or how much I wish like this wasn't happening. It doesn't mean that this marriage is going to end because this is the most important thing in our lives. Yeah. And one thing on this podcast, we want to be honest with you guys. We want to be transparent with you guys. Um, I think that if we are not honest and we're not transparent, um, it's going to be really difficult for, for us to connect and for you guys to learn anything from this podcast. And so one thing we just want to say in full transparency is that there have been occasions where we've gone to bed still angry with each other. So I know you, a lot of times you'll hear people who will say, you know, stay up until two or three or four in the morning, stay up all night. Um, we have just found personally for us that there have been times early on in our marriage where we tried to stay up until one or two or three or four o'clock in the morning in order to get resolution. And what we found is that the more tired that we get and the later it gets into the night, um, the less good versions of ourselves that we are. And sometimes just that act of falling asleep, of going to bed, of getting a good night's sleep and being well rested. My mom used to say when I was a little boy, whenever I was going through something and I was upset or angry or was having emotions about something, she would always, you know, tuck me into bed at night and say, sweetie, things always look better with the morning. And there is something about the sun coming up the next day that a lot of that tension has kind of like naturally diffused. You're well rested. And a lot of times we're in a better frame of mind to first thing in the morning, kind of go back and have that conversation versus at two or three or four o'clock in the morning. And our experience, sometimes we find that we're less productive with our fighting. And sometimes it actually escalates the longer that we stay awake. And so having said that, I would be lying to you if I said there weren't nights that we didn't sleep in the same bed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now it's never because Amy has ever not once in 10 years has kicked me out of bed and said, like, get out of here. You're kicked out of bed, mister. That's never happened. But there have been times again, because of her fighting style. <laughs> Does the mister make that like extra <laughs> Get out of here, mister. Yeah. I guess she never says that. <laughs> um, but for me, as the one who is, who is needy, who needs time to process, I'm also somebody who, uh, tends to be more of a night owl than Amy. Amy falls asleep really easily. It takes me longer to fall asleep. And so sometimes I would find when we were in the middle of conflict, I would be laying in bed. Amy would be laying in bed. She could fall asleep pretty easily, even in the middle of a conflict. It's really a gift. It's a gift. It's a, <laughs> what can I say? It's a gift. And so sometimes I would find myself laying in bed, watching something on my phone or reading, reading, and my mind just couldn't get away from the fight or the argument that we were having. And so by me just literally going from like our bed into the guest room or from our bed onto the couch, just that change of physical location kind of allows my mind to shift, to go to a different place, um, to cool off, to cool down and eventually fall asleep so that I'm ready to have that, that discussion with her in the morning. And so um, if you're a couple who can stay up all night and solve it, or you're a couple who always, no matter what, you know, doesn't leave the bed, um, you, kudos to you. That's awesome. Um, I think just for us being honest and transparent with you and our experience over 10 plus years of marriage, that's just not who we are. So the next point we want to go to is number three, which is never say never. We know that's ironic or always. <laughs> and I always think about Justin Bieber song. Never say never. That's my best Justin Bieber. Impression. Could you imagine if that song just played every time you started to fight? If it was like your speakers in your house knew you were fighting and it was like, never say never. That would diffuse it. Man, are we both so nailing our Justin Bieber impressions or what? Um, but yeah, our rule about never saying never is basically about never making making uh, sweeping statements. Never and always are the two words that really trigger a lot of unfair. Almost anytime we're saying 
never or always in a fight. We're about to say something really unfair and most of the time untrue right after it. So it's both of those words I would consider pretty dangerous. And so we try really, really hard. Have we been perfect at this? No, but we try to be really We've always been perfect about this. We've always, we never, (laughs) but over time, this is something that we've really worked on um, is a eliminating never and always from our vocabulary, especially when we're talking. So examples of this, might be like, you never listen to me. <laughs> or um, like, you always think about yourself first. You never think about me. Or like, you never help around the house. Or I'm always the one doing X. You're never doing this. Do you see how like, so quickly, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, if someone is saying that to you, you automatically want to like build up a wall and defend yourself. And it's it's just not helpful when the goal is resolution. Yeah. And it's really an ineffective arguing style, right? Because let's say that in your marriage, let's say that I really did something. I said something that really hurt Amy's feelings or I did something that really hurt Amy's feelings. And so she's the one because in every fight, right, there's always somebody who's maybe got a little bit of that upper hand, right? Like we're both responsible, but I'm more responsible. So if we're in a situation where Amy has a little bit of that upper hand and then all of a sudden she says to me, you know what? You just never help around the house. Which or, is so not true, by the way. Right, right, right. <laughs> it would be the opposite. Yeah, Jordan is like the most helpful around the house. Anyway, but, but this is in this example. <laughs> if she would say, you never help around the house. At that point, she's lost the, the fight. She's lost the argument because now all because she said something that is guaranteed to not be true. Because when you use always and never, it's pretty much guaranteed not to be true. And so that gives me ammunition to then go back and say, what do you mean I didn't help around the house? I just unloaded the dishwasher five minutes ago. See, you're always saying things that aren't true. And then you can see what Dr. Emerson Egrich in the book, Love and Respect, he talks about the crazy cycle, right? You get on this crazy cycle of like, you're wrong, but blah, blah, blah. And so what we try to do is not do that because it's an ineffective arguing style and always escalates, right? So we're talking about in the middle of a fight, we're always trying to find ways to de-escalate. <laughs> we're always trying always. to find ways. We're to always de-escalate. trying to find ways, but sometimes we escalate on accident. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the main goal for our third rule about never saying never um, is mostly just that we want to make sure that our words are de-escalating the tension and emotions instead of escalating them. And so the fourth rule for fighting is no name calling. Um, and that might sound silly. And because we're former elementary school teachers, Amy taught fourth grade, I taught fifth grade. Um, we definitely taught an age of student where name calling was a thing. Oh yeah. Especially on the playground for and, sure. Yeah. And, and the, it's funny because even as with little kids, we tell little kids not to name call. Um, you know, and I, I feel like a lot of us have heard the like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. False. So not true. Right. I mean, I think if any of us thinks back to our childhood, we can still remember a time when someone said, called us a name or said something negative about us that we can still recall to this day in our adult life. Um, and that's because words really do sting and they do stick with us. And so what and, I, and probably, sorry, Amy, to interrupt, but probably the, some of the best evidence of this is with some of our, with some of our uh, close friends, people in our our small group at church, um, just people that we adults that we relate with now, right? 30 and 40 year old, even 50 and 60 year olds, you will still hear people sometimes in really vulnerable, intimate moments say things that will shock you. They'll say like, yeah, when I was this, this old, 
my mom said this to me or my dad said this to me or you know as i when i was a kid growing up my coach used to always say this to me or or my teachers used to always say this to me and it stuck <laughs> always, with me always always yeah, always yeah going back to that word but, right? but it's you can tell you can know that it sticks with people for and maybe as you're listening right now you know it sticks with people for a long period of time because maybe as you're listening right now you're thinking back to a time that somebody some word that somebody said to you in the past or somebody that you were close with and and you loved them and and you were close, but they kind of breathed this garbage over you. Instead of breathing life into you, they kind of spoke this trash over you and these negative words that you've never been able to let go. And even though you've forgiven them and you've moved on and maybe you have a great relationship with them today, kind of buried deep, deep down somewhere, that's still kind of in the back of your mind. And the reason that we don't allow name calling. So in our house, if you if you name call, you automatically lose the fight, right? Um, and the, part of the reason for that is that your spouse, so like for me, Amy is the person person who knows me best in the world. She knows me more intimately than everybody in the world. Nobody will ever know know me the way that Amy knows me. And if Amy is to say something like, you're such a jerk, or you're such an A word, or say some negative thing, the problem is, is that if Amy says that I am something... I'm going to start to believe that about myself. And we all have enough insecurity as it is. But if my spouse, my wife, the person who loves me more than anything in the world, the person who has my best interests at heart, the person who's supposed to be the protector of my heart, the person who I'm supposed to be 100% vulnerable and transparent with and open places inside of my heart that I would never open to anyone else. If I allow that type of vulnerability with my spouse, which I do, and we all should, because that is what the design of marriage and that's what marriage is for. But if then Amy takes that and puts salt in that, or she takes that and speaks something over my life that's a name that is hurtful, I'm insecure enough, and maybe you're this way too, but I'm insecure enough as a person to think, oh my gosh, if the person who knows me the best thinks this about me, Maybe I really am that thing. Oh my gosh, does everyone else see that in me? Does everyone else think that about me? And it's just a spiral of insecurity from there. So we know that our homes are supposed to be a place of uh, safety and security, and we're supposed to be a place of refuge for each other. Um, and we should be breathing encouragement into each other um, and not labeling each other, especially with um, identities that aren't true, with false identities. So um, especially when it comes to like being in the heat of an argument and uh, like even as far as like profanity, isn't uh, concerned, you know, like you're an a-hole or, you know, whatever. Um, I always think back to something that Jordan told me his dad said to him all the time, which was like, hey, like smart people know how to be more creative than that. And I think there is something true to that too, is like that that's obviously not the root of the issue. Whatever we're, we're fighting about or whatever our conflict is about, there's something much deeper. And so we need to be able to like take a step back and figure out, okay, what are we actually... And when we're name calling, we're just doing that out of anger or just trying to hurt the other person. But why are we trying to do that? And so that's one of the reasons why we've made name calling off limits because it just doesn't lead to anything productive. And so the so far, the four rules that we've talked about for fighting before we get to rule five, number one, know your fighting style. Number two, don't leave the house. Number three, never say never 
or always. Number four, no name calling. One of the reasons that it's so important to talk about these rules with your spouse in advance is because let's be real. When you are in the, in the heat of an argument and you're in the heat of conflict with your spouse, uh, that is not the time to be talking about these different rules. And so we kind of set these guardrails and these boundaries in place to protect uh, each other and protect our marriage from kind of like our own worst demons, right? We'll continue to talk more about that in just a minute. But first, if you're anything like us, before you buy something online, you research to no end, which is why we're so grateful when people we know and trust recommend something they already use and love. That's why we created a list of all our favorite things just for you. Everything on this list is something we use and love in our everyday life, from baby products and cleaning products to our favorite books, our kids' favorite toys, and so much more. All our recommendations are in one place, and they're just one click away. To see the complete list and start shopping now, head to amyandjordan.com slash favorites. Again, that's amyandjordan.com slash favorites. When you make a purchase using one of our links, it doesn't cost you extra. Sometimes it even saves you money. And it's an easy way to help support the show. Now back to the episode. So let's move on to number five. Our fifth rule for fighting is don't involve other people. This is a really, really important one for us, especially in the age of quick, easy communication, phone calls, text, text messaging, messages, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. And so the the kind of the bottom line for us is that for 99.9% of fights, we are going to resolve the fight at some point. We will solve this at some point. It might take a few hours. It might take half a day. It might take a couple days. But it might take 10 minutes. It could be a short little one, yeah. but that's not what we're talking about here. No. <laughs> we're talking about the big ones. Um, but at some point, we know that this conflict or this fight is going to get resolved, um, which is one of the reasons why we really strongly believe that we shouldn't involve other people or drag other people into it in the middle of it. So if it's, you know, there's a couple hours of cooling off period, that's not the time for us to be texting our friends and trying to get them on our side or anything like that. Um, And there's a couple of reasons why. One reason is simply because we've found that when somebody shares... a a fight or a conflict or something really negative about their spouse or their boyfriend or their girlfriend, you know, whoever they're in a relationship with, with us, that typically is something we don't forget. So even though our friend, I remember specifically in college, I had this friend who I really loved and she had a boyfriend who lived out of state. And so I didn't know him very well. And she confided in me quite a bit about what they were arguing about. And um, because, you know, the nature of one person telling another, what's happening in a fight, I'm naturally going to come to her defense, take her side, hear her perspective. I'm not hearing his side of the story. I'm not hearing his perspective. And so it's really shaping and changing the way I view him, especially because I don't know him very well. Um, And so now whenever I think about this boyfriend of hers, I'm always thinking about all these negative things that she's shared with me. Um, even though she has moved on and resolved them, it's something that will always stick with me. And I think this can be especially important in a family relationship. So, you know, like a mother-in-law or a brother-in-law or sister-in-law, basically sharing or your own sister that when it comes to those like in-law relationships, that can get really dangerous really quickly where people all of a sudden have a skewed perspective that's not really true or fair of the other person. Yeah. And there are times to get trusted, impartial third parties 
involved. Mm -hmm. But what we found in our experience is if you're in the middle, if you find yourself in the middle of a fight with your spouse and you're, you have an instinct to text a friend or to call your mom or to reach out to somebody who is not your spouse, you have to pause for one second, take a step back and ask yourself, am I reaching out to this person because I want to feel supported? Am I reaching out to this person because I want to blow off some steam? Am I reaching out to this person because I want them to confirm that I'm right? There's something in the world called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is where we watch things that confirm our own bias. So for example, you might watch a news channel that confirms your own political beliefs, right? Or you might read certain things that confirm your own beliefs. And a lot of times when you reach out to a parent, a sibling, a friend, specifically of the same gender, um, and you reach out with, you know, my husband is acting like this right now, or he's doing this right now. I would say probably nine times out of 10, you're reaching out for you. You're not reaching out for your marriage. And I think that's a key distinction, right? Is a lot of times I get it. Like when I feel hurt, what I want for people to do is to come around and confirm that I'm right. Mm -hmm. I want people to come alongside me and say, me you know, too. yeah, you do. It's like, yeah. you know what? You're right. You're right, Amy. You are right. Jordan is being a jerk and here's why. And I'm totally on your side. I agree love with you. hearing that. Right. Yeah. We all love confirmation bias. We want somebody to confirm what we're already thinking and feeling. So in, in general, we don't want to go to other people and involve them for those reasons. But like Jordan said, there are definitely times when it's appropriate and a good idea to involve a third party, but it's all about the heart behind it and how we approach it. So if you're going with the heart of like, whoa, like what am I not seeing here? Like I've been thinking about this for a long time and I just feel like I might have a blind spot. Like I'm not seeing um, what I could do to change or um, you and, know, and where sorry, am I falling short? To and, jump in, I just wanted to yeah. mention because we were talking about this earlier is that it, the person that you go to for counsel about wise counsel about your marriage, it should typically typically be somebody who is a older than you. So that B, they have a lot more experience. They share your values and they love you and your spouse equally. And they have your, your marriage at heart because that makes them impartial. That makes them unbiased and a good test to know if you're asking the right people for advice about your marriage is a lot of times if you ask somebody about uh, advice for your marriage and they immediately take your side or they just listen and nod and agree with you. That's probably not the right person to be getting advice from. But if you sit down with a, with your mentor, for example, or a trusted older person, and you start to explain, explain the problem that you're having in your marriage, most of the time that trusted mentor is going to listen, but their first question is going to be about you, mm -hmm. not about your spouse. Their first question is going to be, okay, so I've heard you explain everything that he did. So tell me what your part in this is. Mm -hmm. And that's a good barometer for like, is this person... Uh, someone who cares about our marriage first and me second? Or is this somebody who just is going to take my side and make me feel better about myself? Mm -hmm. So instead of going to someone with built-in bias, like, you know, your own brother or your own sister is going to have this like built-in bias because they've had a relationship with you a lot longer than they've had a relationship with your spouse um, or a friend that only knows one of you pretty well. Instead, going to someone like a pastor or a counselor or a mentor or a friend who really has both of your best interests at heart is going to be the best way to actually have like a productive resolution focused conversation. Absolutely. And just one thing to kind of add on to add on to that is that if there are those times, because for the most part, again, we're talking about 
what are the rules for fighting when you're in the heat of battle, right? So to speak, I kind of hate that expression, but when you're in the heat of battle and you're- <laughs> That you makes are, me think like, like, a, like, Narnia, like a scene from Narnia where we have like shields. Could you imagine if I, if we were in the middle of a fight and I went into our bedroom and you thought I was just going to cool off and all of a sudden I walked out dressed as a knight and said, for Narnia. I mean, I feel like that might diffuse the situation. It probably would. It probably just- it just shocked me so much. I'd be like, okay, fight over. Yeah, you let's win. invest. In, I'll invest in a costume. Um, uh, anyways. Oh, that could get weird fast. That could get real weird yeah. fast. I have a lot of jokes right now, but we want to be somewhat oh, of a family-friendly programming. I appreciate your filtering so much. <laughs> Thank you for- So much filtering. Ending, but, ending it there. Uh, Thank you. But for the most part, we're talking about like rules for you and your spouse when you are in the middle of a conflict. But rule five is- also about like not going to somebody in the middle of a fight, but also just talking about that mentor. One thing that Amy and I really believe is really, really, really important is whoever you go to or go to for wise counsel and mentorship, whoever you go to to be vulnerable about your marriage, in addition to them being older, wiser, having more experience, Amy and I highly recommend going to someone of the same gender. And the reason for that is because, again, we're all about escalate, not escalating, but mm-hmm. de-escalating conflict. And so could you imagine what it would look like if all of a sudden uh, I decided we were having a fight. So I decided to go talk to uh, so- somebody who was an older woman by myself. And I'm like, hey, Aim, I solved our problem. I went and talked to so-and-so. I think that her first reaction, whether it's right or wrong, might be like, oh, so you talk to another woman about this. <laughs> Right. I mean, as you're at first, you're like, wait, where's Jordan going with this? But then as I say that, like, oh, so you talk to another guy about our marriage? Yeah, it's just not a good idea. It's just not healthy. I think it's just not healthy and such a good point to make that you want to go to someone with the same gender. Or if you're in a place to be able to go as a couple to go as a couple, um, if it's something really ongoing and hasn't been able to be resolved you know, in your own, in your own home. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're a guy and you're going to go to another woman for advice, she's got to be like Titanic old. You know what I mean? Like, like at the end of the rose, like at, at the, the end, end rose movie. at the end, not rose in the middle, like no, rose, not rose during the sketch. No, no, you can't. No, no. <laughs> rose when she's dropping the heart of the ocean. That was funny. You never make jokes like that. I've been a bad influence on you. <laughs> I guess so. So anyways, just to recap, let's go really quickly through our five rules for fighting. And then we're going to give you guys the takeaway and a homework assignment to do with your spouse. Um, and it does not involve costumes. Um, <laughs> so number one, know your fighting style. Number two, don't leave the house. Number three, never say never or always. Number four, no name calling. Number five, don't involve other people. And so because we are former teachers, we want to give you guys some homework. So our- but it's actually a pretty fun homework. And like Jordan mentioned, one of the most important things about establishing rules that you agree on as a couple is not trying to do it in the middle of a fight because it's never going to work um, to all of a sudden be like, uh, I was listening to this podcast and I don't think we should call each other names anymore. And you just called me a name or whatever. Um, so You're like, let me go get my, my night costume. I'll be right back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So instead, um, we really recommend finding a time when you can talk about this when you're not fighting. So you're basically preempting, knowing that at some point in your future, you will have conflict again. So let's agree on a few things that are going to help make that conflict more productive. Right. And so if you're if you're a guy listening to this right now, or if you are a girl listening to this and you're going to send this <laughs> to this this episode to your spouse, um, I totally get that it might sound completely unsexy to be like, hey, baby, 
you want to go on a date with me and talk about fighting? <laughs> she's going to be like, what weirdo? Like, stop listening to that podcast. I mean, if you say it in that low of a voice, maybe she'll be like, okay. <laughs> and I was wearing my costume. Yeah. I, um, I think you're a lot more excited about this costume <laughs> idea than I am. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I think it's all in how you phrase it, right? So for, for, for women, I'm talking to guys for a second specifically here, but for women, it's all about the why, right? It's not about the how, it's about the why. And so if you're a guy... Um, to me, what this looks like is, hey, when you're when it's you're totally calm, this could be over breakfast, this could be when you're driving. It's a conversation that's like, hey, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, and look, we're not per- I know I'm not a perfect person, you're not a perfect person, but the desire of my heart is that we would have as vulnerable and intimate and close of a marriage as we possibly can. We are on the same team, we are best friends, and I just want us to keep growing together and be stronger than ever before. I listened to this podcast where these two crazy role play people were talking <laughs> about um Uh, talking about five rules for fighting. And it really made me realize that we need to go ahead and establish some ground rules in our marriage for when we do fight. Um, Because I want to make sure, you know, as your husband, one of my primary roles and responsibilities is to be the protector and the guardian of your heart, like sword jokes aside, right? Medieval jokes aside, that I'm supposed to be the protector and the guardian of your heart. And I know that for my own self, that when I sometimes get angry and we're fighting, I sometimes am prone to say things that I don't mean or do things that I don't, that I regret later. And I think if we sat down and just spent 15 minutes at dinner, kind of talking about our fighting style and maybe thinking about some fights that we had had in the past and how we could have handled it differently. And we lay maybe the ground rules that these people gave us. And maybe we also create a few ground rules of our own. I think that it would lead to us having just a stronger, more intimate, more fulfilling marriage and would help us to avoid hurting each other's hearts or damaging each other in the future or leaving scar tissue emotionally that that we don't that we don't want to do is that something if if i if we went to dinner is that something you would be open to discussing i mean who could say no to that i mean she's gonna be like baby get the costume out you know no more costumes (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i promise we don't have costumes but (laughs) i think that most wives would respond really well to that um, and I think it would be a really, really good homework step to f- go out on a date together. Don't talk about it the whole time. Spend 15 minutes, uh, half an hour, uh, maybe agree to talk about it before the entrees arrive. Um, so that way you've kind of laid those ground rules. And as we kind of close out this episode, one thing we just want to leave you with is I think sometimes there is this like misnomer out there that married couples fight all the time. And that's not true, right? There's also this misnomer that, oh, well, that couple probably never fights. And that's not true either, right? The truth lies somewhere in the middle. And so one of the quotes that we love that we want to leave you with is by um, a man named Les Parrott. Les and Leslie Parrott uh, are kind of like marriage coaches and counselors and they write books and they're just awesome. And I heard Les Parrott recently say, conflict is the price we pay for deeper intimacy in relationships. And when you really can deconstruct that, I think deeper intimacy in our marriage and deeper intimacy in all of our relationships is something that we all desire. And he says, conflict is the price we pay for deeper intimacy in relationships. And I just know that when you spend as much time together as married couples do, because we are like fallible, imperfect, in, in, you know, uh, imperfect human beings, we make mistakes. We fall short. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. Um, most of the time we regret it and wish we could take it back. And so what we want to do with this episode it help, is help to give you some rules for fighting that allow you to have healthy conflict so that you can grow and make your marriage stronger and stronger every day. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review. And if it wasn't, please don't. (laughs) But seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.